0: Welcome to the Silver Screen Guide Podcast, where we discuss films from every genre. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the
1: podcast.
0: Welcome back, listeners, to the ninth installment in our Star Trek movie review series. Today we will be discussing Star Trek Insurrection. This is your co-host, Corbin. And I'm Brad. Don't worry, listeners, if you haven't already heard the first eight reviews of the Star Trek films. Don't worry. There is still plenty of time to catch up. Just scroll back through the archives on our podcast page. Wherever you listen to and subscribe to your podcast, you'll be able to find it there. And before we jump too far into the podcast, don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Twitter. And if you go to our official website, then you will be able to subscribe through email. And of course, you can subscribe right here on the podcast. And a great free way to help us out is to go to iTunes and leave us a five star review. That's not to inflate our egos at all. That is to make sure other people are able to find our podcast in the rankings under movies and TV shows. That really does help others join the silver screen community. So that's a great way to, uh, great free way to help us. And if you're looking to support us financially and get some great bonus content, While you're doing it, then head on over to our Patreon page where we have our thoughts on the latest movie news and trailers, movie commentaries, Q&As, tons of categories there, all starting for the price of a Starbucks cup of coffee. All of those links are in the description below. We made them incredibly easy for you to find and navigate and get to. Star Trek Insurrection was released December 11th, 1998, about two years after Star Trek First Contact, which... As we mentioned in the previous podcast, was huge. It was nominated for an Academy Award. IMDb users ranked it the 7th greatest film of all time. It was the most popular Star Trek movie to date. It had really reinvigorated the franchise, and I think a lot of that people accredited to Jonathan Frakes, who always has played Riker in the TV show, and he is back directing this film. Now, the writers for this film have never worked on Star Trek before. I was really surprised to see we had two new writers. I couldn't find anything as to why the previous writers left the production, but these new writers, Michael Piller, who wrote a bunch of TV shows, this was his first theatrical film he had ever written, and the story was done by Rick Berman, who has story credits for all of these Star Trek Next Generation Picard-type films. And Jerry Goldsmith is back doing the score for, I I believe, the third time. Now, currently on IMDb, this film holds a 6.4, which is not as well as the last film's very high 7.6. Now, going back in time, the studio was hoping to capture the success of The fourth film because it was a light-hearted fun film and they felt like First Contact did great and they wanted to write off of the success of that as well but what if they could do it and make it more of a more of a fun Star Trek film and at the time Star Trek IV The Voyage Home was the most profitable film and the most well-received overall over the years. So they did bring these two writers on board and these writers wanted to adapt stories similar to either Heart of Darkness or The Prisoner of Zenda, neither of which are lighthearted stories. Yeah, that's an unusual comparison then. It would be interesting to see Star Trek films go along those lines, but nevertheless, we don't have a plot anywhere near that. And originally the film was going to be called Star Trek Stardust, which was taken from the Hoagie Carmichael song.
1: Yeah, that's very lighthearted.
0: I've never heard this Kind of whimsical, you know, the whole idea. That that doesn't fit this. Hmm. It seems to be kind of a whimsical title, and they knew that as well, so they came up with a bunch of titles. I'll tell you all the titles they thought of here in just a minute. Now, after a few drafts, no one was pleased with this script. Even I'm still not. (laughs) Well, and we'll talk about why we're not. But Patrick Stewart felt it was a step back in scope from First Contact, mm. and he was really concerned about the script, even claiming it was only suitable for a TV episode. Interesting. Now, after reading one of the more complete drafts of the script, the studio head sent a memo to screenwriter Michael Piller, and the memo said it was easily the funniest and sexiest Star Trek story to date. I don't know what script they were reading. Yeah, really. Really? Now, some of the working titles for the original drafts of the film was uh, "Prime Directive," "The Directive," "The Resignation," which sounds stupid, "The Enemy Within," "Breach of Promise," "Dereliction of Duty." That's too much of a mouthful, and "Apostasy." Of those, I think the only one I would think is a kind of a cool title is "Star Trek Apostasy." Apostasy is a cool word. Yeah, that that really uh,
1: that that would have been a good title. I like that.
0: And they did take the time to come up with these titles because they knew the studio would reject Star Trek Stardust. Yeah. Now, as shooting approached, they did come up with even more titles such as Star Trek Where Time Stands Still. That sounds like a TV episode title. Mm -hmm. A long phrase like that. Star Trek Forever, which... That doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. And I associate that with... um. Batman Batman Forever, mm-hmm. which was the bad Val Kilmer sure. Batman film. And that hadn't come out yet, but yeah. nevertheless. And Star Trek Beyond Paradise. Mm. Nah. Which is kind of funny because the most recent Star Trek film was just simply titled Star Trek Beyond. Mm, that's true. But of course, as we know, all of these titles were rejected. And Pillar's favorite title, what he wanted the film to be called was Star Trek Sacred Honor. But the studio rejected it because they thought it sounded too religious.
1: Hmm. Interesting.
0: Apostasy is kind of a religious word, too. Apostasy is definitely more religious. Mm -hmm. Now, during pre-production, the marketing department wanted to decide the title because nobody could. And they were going to call it Star Trek Revolution. That's a cool title. Yeah. I'm fine with it. I think people would be disappointed seeing a film called Star Trek Revolution and then getting what was on screen. Right. Now, one of Pillar's friends, his name is Alan Spencer, he suggested the title Insurrection, which was selected from a couple other choices as well. Rebellion, High Treason, and Act of Treason. Those are plausible. Those are plausible, except Act of Treason seems too long. Yeah. Rebellion uh, maybe is more plausible. Yes. Now, later on... During the course of the plot, which don't worry, no spoilers just yet. But one of the things Patrick Stewart disliked, I would say, most about the plot is he didn't like the idea of running to the hills. He hmm. instead wanted it to be like the Battle of the Alamo. Hmm. What if you they a last stand? Type yeah, thing, yeah. What if they took their stand instead mm-hmm. of just running away? Unfortunately, Pillar couldn't figure out how to incorporate that into the script. And apparently their budget wouldn't allow for it, Hmm. which seems unlikely. It seems inconceivable. They had a $58 million budget, which was a lot bigger than last time. Their budget keeps going up, and the last film was much better. They could figure... They could have figured away. They could have. Now, after the film's release, they wanted to... Break the two-year release cycle because every two years, except for, I think, one of the previous films, a new Star Trek movie comes out. They wanted it to wait three years because it would be the year 2001. And Mm -hmm. as every science fiction fan knows, that was a part of the title and the year setting of Stanley Kubrick's 2001 A Space Odyssey. Space Odyssey,
1: Odyssey, that's right.
0: So they felt it would be cool to have a well-renowned science fiction franchise to have a big debut the same year as Stanley Kubrick, Mm -hmm. what he saw and would be the future. future, But that did not come to pass. Star Trek nemesis would come out in 2002, four Mm -hmm. years later. And I believe I know why, but we will talk about that next week, listeners, in our review. So critically, how was this film received? Well, only 54% of critics gave it a positive review as opposed to 93% yeah. of the last film. Huge disparity there. It really is. Now, I met a Metascore, it got a 64, which isn't anything to write home about, still that's technically a positive score, mm-hmm. but nevertheless on the lower side, and audiences actually gave the film a B+. Now, some of you may think, "Well, that's not too bad." But if a film is good, it will be somewhere between an A- and mm-hmm. an A+. A B- means it's okay. It's fine. According to CinemaScore, that is. Mm-hmm. And that's the lowest aside from Star Trek Generations, which I could understand why. Make sure to listen to a review of that one. Now, uh, the last film did receive an A- and also a Metascore of 71. The opening weekend for this film, it was number one at the box office. No surprise there, but it had a lower opening than expected than the previous film, uh, maybe even the previous two films, actually, with $22 million. Now, that's lower by $8 million than the last film, and the budget for this film, as I previously mentioned, was $58 million. Domestically, it grossed $70 million, only $12 million more than its budget. That's bad. Yeah. And foreign gross, $42 million for a worldwide total of $112.5 million, considering First Contact made $146, $146 million mm. worldwide. As you can see, I don't really understand why this film didn't do better at the box office. My only guess is word of mouth. That's and- what I was going to say. I wonder if it's word of mouth. Yeah. You know, the first day hits and...
1: Whoa, what a disappointment in some people, and it catches on. I just wonder about that.
0: I'm pretty sure that's probably it, because Mm -hmm. ultimately, the film was number one opening weekend, and it didn't stay number one for the next weekend. It still did okay. Some weak competition, too. It did have some weak competition. It was going up against A Bug's Life, which is clearly directed towards kids and families. Right um Michael Keaton's Jack Frost, yeah. kind of a weird mm-hmm. Christmas fantasy type movie. Uh Will S- I believe Will Smith and um oh, I can't remember his name. What's what, who's the star of The French Connection? Uh Gene Hackman. Gene Hackman, Enemy of the State, mm-hmm. in The Rugrats movie, so kind of some kids kind yeah. of family movie, so Star Trek should have had no problem going right. forth from there. Right. But nevertheless, we know that it didn't do very well, and none of these movies did well either, except A Bug's Life, mm-hmm. because it's Pixar. That's, sure. That was people bad. look back on that as more of an enjoyable film, but mm-hmm. nobody's talking about Enemy of the State or Rugrats <laughs> anymore. <laughs> right. Not the movies, at least. So as far as it goes in the series, adjusting for inflation, and even if you don't adjust for inflation, regardless, this is the 11th lowest grossing of the 13 movies released so far. And the two below it are Star Trek V, mm-hmm. The Final Frontier, and our next week's review, Star Trek Nemesis, did gross lower than this. Ouch. That doesn't mean it's going to be a worse right. movie. Yeah. But you could. I think, listeners, by the time our review is done, you'll understand why audiences weren't turning out in droves to see the next Star mm. Trek film. Well, listeners, we are about to talk about the plot of Star Trek Insurrection. If you haven't seen the film and you don't want it spoiled for you because we will be talking spoilers, go ahead and click pause right now. The film is streaming on Amazon Prime Video if you have a subscription to that, which is where we watched it. And I believe it's also on Hulu. So you have two options for you to go see or, of course, just go the classic route and rent it that way. The crew of the Enterprise is working in conjunction with Commander Doherty, played by Anthony Zerbe, who is heading an observation mission with the Sona, a seedy group who desire to never grow old, thus they have their skin stretched consistently over their faces. The group they are observing are the Baku, a peaceful people who hold the galaxy's greatest secret. One day, Data, reprised by Brent Spiner, goes crazy, revealing himself to the village. Picard reprised by Patrick Stewart, is worried they have violated the Prime Directive, which means they cannot reveal themselves to a less advanced race. Picard, with the help of Worf, reprised by Michael Dorn, are able to fix data. The crew of the Enterprise go down to the planet's surface, where Picard meets his new love interest, Anish, played by Donna Murphy. She reveals to him they know how to warp travel, but gave it up for a more tranquil life. That was more than 300 years ago well before the original Enterprise crew were even infants. This planet they're on is a rejuvenating life source that keeps them forever young. With the help of the village children, Data uncovers why he went crazy. He found out the real reason the Sona are observing the Baku. They wish to secretly transport them off the planet so the Sona can have the youthful regeneration all to themselves. Doherty justifies this to Picard as healing for the entire galaxy. Little does Dorty know, the Sona are actually disgruntled Baku, who are back for revenge. When the Sona mount an attack on the Baku, the Enterprise crew, who have committed insurrection against Starfleet, run to the hills with the Baku. Picard and Anish are captured by the Sona. While on their ship, Picard turns their second-in-command, Gallatin, played by Greg Henry, against their leader, Ruafo, played by F. Murray Abraham. In an explosive final battle, Picard destroys Ruafo, and the remaining Sona are assimilated back into the Baku. Picard, although he doesn't want to leave, realizes he must fulfill his duty to Starfleet. But he's not too sad about leaving his new girlfriend, Anish, since he knows she isn't going anywhere anytime soon, as credits roll. First off, I do want to start with some of the good elements of this film. And, of course, I always like seeing these characters again on another adventure. I think ever since we first met them in Star Trek Generations, they've been very likable characters. I would
1: agree, yeah. Not having been a a watcher of the series, they were all new to me. Uh, Just heard of them, of course. But I like the characters as they've been revealed. I do as well.
0: And I do like the Baku village I know some people don't really like how this film opens, but I like how it opens. We thought it might have been back in time. Yeah, I liked it. I really did.
1: I had hopes for it in the beginning there.
0: Yes, and I like the tranquility of the village, and Mm -hmm. I like that for the most part, this is an easily digestible Star Trek film, Mm -hmm. unlike previous ones that have been very boring in the second act or overly complicated throughout the whole film, or they just haven't even developed well enough. At least this one, I would say, for the most part, you can watch and enjoy kind of those simple elements <laughs> of this little adventure. Um, I will say my favorite scene of the whole movie, probably, is when Jordy, who's played by LeVar Burton, when he sees the sunrise for the first mm. time and these, this reju- yeah. rejuvenating planet has healed his eyes. That's I beautiful, think. yeah. I did like that sentimental moment. Uh, I do wish we kind of had more of those. I, I know there are a lot of character moments in this movie where it's just a lot of characters just mm-hmm. talking pretty much. And kind of the action is reserved for the end of the film. But I do think they could have capitalized... On it, it made it a little more meaningful. I know. I think fans were probably excited to see Riker and Troy kind of have this blossoming romance uh, mm-hmm. that was teased even in the very first episode of the series. So I guess it was kind of cool to see them, you know, become a couple. But I guess it wasn't very genuine since it was maybe the planet giving them these feelings, or maybe it was bringing them out. I'm I'm not quite sure on that. Well, that's kind of where my compliments for the movie stop, because this is a, we both said it, this is a TV episode plot.
1: Absolutely. Very weak on a cinematic scale. And even Patrick Stewart said that. Yeah, that was interesting. You noted that in your
0: beginning. I was like, wow, he was, he could see it. And I just, I'm really confused because First Contact, I would say, had an epic story Only, the only one with a really epic story that had anything to, had any real stakes aside from the storyline between the Wrath of Khan and the search for Spock. Hmm. Um, I'm just shocked. We, we go back to this kind of flavor of the week episode that it it doesn't have any real consequences. It shocked, it shocks me
1: even more knowing that they all saw that, especially some of the lead character like Picard, Patrick Stewart. And how did it get to the final? How did he get to the final uh, take and put onto the big screen? I, I, You would just think somebody would have put their foot down and said, wait a second, guys, this isn't working. Uh, you know, as the plot develops and everything. I mean, they filmed it out, obviously. Uh, they finished the script, filmed it, you know, said
0: their lines. They had to know how weak it was. And there was a conversation... Pillar was really worried about talking with Patrick Stewart because Patrick Stewart had been very vocal about how this was just going to be a very weak film. He was right. Ultimately, I think, I don't know. I don't know what Picard or not Picard, what Patrick Stewart could have done at this point. Well,
1: yeah, that's just that I'm putting more power in his hands to say you can stomp your foot and say, I'm not going to be in that movie or whatever. That's not going to happen. So retrospectively, I'm thinking, why didn't somebody put their foot down? But it just seems... Wow, how could they put out such a bad product after such a good product?
0: Well, the studio thought this was going to be... They thought The Wrath of Khan was this incredible action sci-fi film, and people loved it. But they also thought The Voyage Home was this goofy comedy, and people did love that as well. So they thought, we just had First Contact, which was our Wrath of Khan. Hmm. Now we're going to have... This next movie, which will be our voyage home and it'll be our comedic Star Trek film. Hmm. But it's, it's not funny. Didn't work. No. Yeah. And you noticed there was some jokes that we did laugh at. Yeah. I thought, uh, but it, it the didn't st- go that, f- it didn't go comedic enough if they were going to do that. It was just yeah. interspersed. And I believe that is a real, uh, I, I liked the comedy for what it was, but there wasn't enough comedy or the action had no stakes whatsoever. They were just shooting robots. Nobody died. They were right. just warped up to the ship. They tried a lot of different elements and they all fell flat.
1: You know, comedy didn't have quite enough if they were going to go that way, as you said. The the stakes, there was no real danger involved. Nobody died. Nobody was even in danger of dying, quite frankly. Um, there there just didn't seem to be a great stake uh, involved. And in everything just kept leaving you unfulfilled as a viewer.
0: And I remember you saying that was one of your biggest issues, especially when we were going into the third act, is you were saying how there's no real consequences to anything yeah, here. I'm, I'm not
1: emotionally connected to anything in this movie saying, how's this going to turn out?
0: And I believe one of the major problems of that is they don't establish any kind of emotional plight of really any of the characters in the beginning of the movie. And I know we talked about how there is this final mystery that is revealed, that the Sona are actually... Baku yeah. yeah now wow that came out of left field at the very end of the movie <laughs> it did come out of left field they didn't tease it whatsoever mm-hmm. and I know that was supposed to be this really cool revelation and make us reevaluate it was, it everything was just too late seen. it was too late the film should have opened instead of with this it was kind of interesting to see wonder why data was going crazy and running yeah he was just this that intrigued me a little bit yeah it intrigued me a little bit, but nevertheless, what would have been a better structured story and more of an emotional pull was seeing, I don't know, many, many years in the past, these Sona, but as these young Baku, every right. Abraham without Which any Which you learn makeup. at the end
1: of the movie. Wouldn't that have been cool to, mm-hmm. to
0: to to connect
1: that? Wow.
0: It would have drawn back a lot better, and it would have given us a thing to think about throughout the movie, why did we see these Baku leave? Why was there right. these bad feelings? Right. This seems sad. We, we would know also for a fact this isn't a perfect village. They they always portray it as this right. utopia, but we know not everybody felt that way. Yeah,
1: that's right. Those those elements would have redeemed
0: this whole plot. It would have emotionally drawn us into the outcome. It really would have drawn us into the outcome. And then we would have said, ah, I understand Right. I, well, I'm not trying to give anything away here, but Christopher Nolan did something similar with The Dark Knight Rises with the character of Bane and his mm-hmm. escape. Mm-hmm. And you thought Bane, right. Bane was this guy from the beginning. Christopher Nolan did a really cool switcheroo with it. I won't spoil it for you in case you haven't seen The Dark Knight Rises. Right. But that is how you draw people yes. into a plot. Yes. Totally agree. And that's just how you write a good story is yeah. in order to have a payoff in the third act you have to set it up in the first act.
1: Yeah, I'm just, these these are 101 elements of story writing and, and creating conflict and and in re- I'm just wondering how they got to the big screen with this stuff. It just slays me.
0: Well, it does me too because this the, Michael Pillar had written television episodes and clearly he shows he's not ready for a feature film because right. this is another television episode yeah. stretched too thin into a movie. Right. Yeah. Now, I will say I never found this movie to be boring like the other ones. I just was I just didn't care. Right. As much. That's
1: it. It didn't have that put me to sleep in the second act uh, that so many of them do that just bored me to sleep. But it just didn't care. That, that just didn't draw me in.
0: I also got to say the villains, the Sona, are some of the weakest Trek villains I've ever seen. They just look gross with yeah, their they, skin they stretched over their face. That's true. And... To me, this seemed like a bit of a major ripoff from Terry Gilliam's Brazil, where mm. the mom is having plastic surgery, and you see her face being stretched like this. Mm. It looks just like that. Anyways, I don't like looking at them, and I remember even in the first act, we were, we were kind of confused, because Riker and Troy are investigating the sona. I'm like, who are this Sona? Who are these people? Who are these people? I called them the Sifa. I couldn't even remember who they were. were. Well, one of the things that that
1: I felt was underutilized in this uh, plot, in this whole movie, was the the use of Anthony Zerbe. Great character actor. Always loved him in films. And uh, especially in in his... uh, you know, brother Matthias role Mm -hmm. Uh, and the Omega man, the Omega man. That was it. It the name was escaping me. Uh, but he, he's just, even in TV series, Anthony Zerbe did a lot of television series in the seventies, you know, guest appearances. And he was always just this iconic bad guy that you wanted to hate. And here he's just Admiral Dougherty. It just doesn't, I don't, they didn't use him at all. No, Uh, you know, make him, make him even more of a villain. Uh, you know, he was was as if he was duped into going along with this and really, you know,
0: didn't buy it. He was. He was a major disappointment because when we saw his name in the credits, we thought Anthony Zerbe. Yeah. (laughs) I thought he's going to be a great villain. I said, he's got to be the villain. Well... He was working for Starfleet, and they try and maybe make you think he is kind of a bad guy, but he's not. Turns out he
1: I felt sorry for him. He was kind of duped into believing what they were doing was right, you know?
0: Yeah, I just have no idea why they cast him in this role, Mm. if that's all they're going to do with him. And he never really has any moment to shine. Mm -hmm. He's forgettable, and he is taken out pretty easily by Ruafa,
1: pretty easily. In a
0: horrible visual effects thing, whereas... Eyes start stretching in his face. Yeah. It just was silly. You're right. Absolutely disappointing. They could have done much better with him. And F. Murray Abraham is a big actor as well. I I, I didn't even know it was him under all that Mm -hmm. makeup. But once again, a very weak villain. Mm -hmm. I have no idea why Starfleet is even sanctioning the Sona. And Yeah, that made no sense to me. Plus... I'm disappointed this villain has no emotional connection. The one Sona that Picard wins over because he doesn't want, because mm-hmm. he knows his mom was down there. Mm-hmm. Um, he actually has, I guess, a bit of an interest to it, and he is redeemed in the end. Rafa has no redemptive qualities to right. for us to kind of feel bad for him or, or even think about. What probably would have been better is if Ruafa would have been the long-lost son of Anish. Picard's love interest. Wow, that would
1: have been a good twist.
0: That would have... I I mean, do these writers not know emotional stakes? They just don't have it. That's why I'm trying to figure these guys are making millions doing this and it's flopping. I just... And especially they're talking about recalling upon classic literature such as The Prisoner of Zenda and Heart of Darkness, yet they have no idea how to create any kind of character connections or mystery. It just it's beyond me it, a Big lot of missed down. opportunities and by the time the third act comes when they do this whole switcheroo and they're talking about the collector and the infector and all these all these rhyming words and machines you and I couldn't even make heads or tails Mm-mm. the whole plot just it crashed. just crashed it just
1: crashed and fell apart and you couldn't follow anything and it was it was bad
0: yeah we had no idea what this collector was and yeah i it was just horrible we couldn't even I thought they just kind of gave up at the end they yeah. they couldn't even figure out what they were what they were doing. They thought let's try and figure out a big action scene and it it really fell apart. I had no idea what was going on there <laughs> into the into the film. not to mention, I would say these visual effects looked worse than what we saw in first contact. I loved the visual effects in first mm-hmm. contact. I think they were the best, and they have always used industrial light and magic they did not use them for Mm, this film for some reason so you could tell the quality wasn't as good and i would say i i even felt like the whole movie looked made for tv it looked kind of like tv sets it really did i'm not knocking the use of 16 by 9 because i do love that format but other star trek films have been in that cinematic 235 235 one yeah for some reason they chose to give us a a picture size closer to that of our television sets, well, of, of HD television sets anyway. But back yeah. then, it would have been closer to fit on your screen. Mm-hmm. And I don't know; they didn't utilize it very well. It looked just like they were shooting it for TV. Brad, what is your rating and recommendation for Star Trek Insurrection?
1: Well, I am—I was just terribly disappointed in this film, uh, so I'm going to give it a four. Solid. Do not ever go watch this film. <laughs> just, it's just not good. It's it, not good. It isn't. And
0: I'm sorry to report that I was,
1: I had high hopes.
0: I did too.
1: The, even film. you know, in the title, insurrection sounds like something exciting's about to happen, and you know, it just never develops.
0: And the poster looked really cool. I think I've come to determine. If the poster looks cool for a Star Trek film, the movie is not going to live up to it. If the poster looks fine, it's probably going to be a that's, pretty good movie. That's funny. Yeah. Well, like I said, Star Trek Insurrection carries with it a high bar, coming off yeah. what I deem the best Star Trek film, that being First Contact. Mm. I was excited for the follow-up. Like I said, the poster is really cool, and I like these characters, but they've been given a recycled TV plot that struggles to stretch itself into a nearly two-hour feature film. Maybe this plot would have been more intriguing if they wouldn't have held their cards so close to the chest, making reveals come far too late into the third Mm. act. The opening should have been Baku leaving their village, which could have tied back to their returning with a vengeance. It's not that I don't like the Baku and the Fountain of Youth because these characters aren't fleshed out, they're stretched thin. Although this is not the worst Trek film, it rightfully takes its place at the bottom of the barrel. Although I was thinking about it after we watched the movie, I said I'd probably watch Generations and the Voyage Home before this one. But now that I think about it, I don't think I would do that. I'd probably watch this again before I watched the Whale one and the one the one yeah. where william shatner transports through time
1: Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm not interested in those again at all. You know, if I watched this one again, I think it would be to see if if there if I just missed something that would help connect a few dots, you know, I'd be curious. What did I miss about this collector? You know, I was so frustrated with so many other elements of the movie that I well might have missed something that's there that I just didn't see.
0: And also, I would say if you've watched the entire TV series Then you could view this as kind of a lost episode yeah, or a continuation episode. That would be a good point. And you could even make it into a two-part episode. Have fun with it. That's actually what I was thinking it should have been. It definitely should have been. Otherwise, skip this Trek film. It does receive four stars out of ten with a solid not recommend. The other one thing that I did kind of forget to mention that I was a little annoyed with is this kind of quasi-socialist worldview of a perfect society of farmers and laborers who have no need for weapons and have foregone the inventions of capitalism. Mm -hmm. They don't drive it home too far, although they're saying we don't have any weapons, we don't need them. That was a little too fantastical, but I couldn't help but think back to the writings of Karl Marx where he's saying we you know, the industrial revolution is horrible. And they're saying, we figured out warp speed, but it made life horrible for us. Right, And we need to return a more simpler time of being farmers and sharing everything in common. That aligns a little too much, I think, with kind of this socialist worldview of we as humans can create this perfect sharing utopian society with no issues whatsoever. And they could have leaned into that more as showing that's not truly the case. Because of these new Sona had a lot of issues with it and mm-hmm. they're coming back. Once again, I don't think the writers were even smart enough to <laughs> That's probably be right. able to work that into a deeper worldview of <laughs> right socioeconomics. Yeah, they definitely weren't smart enough to do that. I do have hope listeners for next week with Star Trek Nemesis because the villain is Tom Hardy.
1: That excites me. I like Tom Hardy a lot and I've never seen him at what he would have been that young.
0: Yeah, in 2002, he is a really famous actor nowadays. He is an Academy Award nominated actor. I don't know if he's ever won yet, but he is nevertheless a big actor nowadays. He was not as big of an actor back in Star Trek Nemesis, but nevertheless, he is their villain. I don't know the plot of Nemesis. I've just seen the poster. It's a very creepy looking poster, which we can mm. talk about next Interesting. week. Interesting. Listeners, if you haven't already clicked subscribe, don't forget to do so. That way you will not miss our review next week. And don't worry, we will be coming back to finish up our M. Night Shyamalan retrospective series. We will also be reviewing all of the Terminator films leading up to Terminator Dark Fate. Alan will be coming back to review those with me very soon. We will be releasing a brief podcast with Alan and I, talking about an update for the rest of the release calendar for the rest of the year. Here on Silver Screen Guide. And once again, don't forget if you haven't already gone over to our Facebook and Twitter pages and subscribed on those. And even check out our official website. We have more than just podcasts. We have written articles. Most recently we published the James Bond article where we watched all 25 films-ish. We did watch one technically unofficial film with Sean Connery. But we did talk about everything you needed to know, and we ranked all of them. The Bond girls, we talk about everything in that article. That's over on the website. And if you are looking for some extra great bonus content where we talk about our thoughts on the latest movie news and trailers, we do movie commentaries, you can do a and a with us, all of that, starting for the price of a Starbucks cup of coffee. The coffee's great, but once you drink it, it's gone. This content is yours to keep. Even if you stop subscribing over there on our Patreon page, all of that is in the links in the description below. We love talking about movies, and we love talking about them with you. You So make sure to share it with your friends so we can continue to grow the Silver Screen Guide and the conversation. Brad, thanks for joining me. Hey, it's been great fun. Thank you. Looking forward to Nemesis. Yes. Listeners, next week we will be coming back to you with Star Trek Nemesis.